of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. Now, to question and answer 124, I ask you to respond with the answer. The question, what does the third petition mean? We answer together, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, as those who have been brought into the kingdom of God, we want to act as those who are citizens of that kingdom and to live in keeping with that rule, the rule of that kingdom. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's teaching them to live out what they knew of God's will. Well, now that's the question that's before us as we begin this evening. What is the will of God? It's one question that we seek to answer in our consideration of this petition, consideration of Christ's prayer that he has taught us uh, tonight. Scripture speaks of God's will as being uh, hidden as well as revealed. In Deuteronomy 29, we, uh, we see Moses speaking to the people, and he reminds them that they must keep God's commands, that they must pass them on to their children. They must not be forgotten. Hear this word from Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are unknown aspects of God's will, of his decree. We don't know what he's going to do tomorrow. We don't know what he's going to do two weeks from now or years from now. There are secret things that belong to God. He doesn't reveal all that he even does each day. We know that whatsoever comes to pass is by his ordination, by his decree. And he works with perfect wisdom, with perfect timing. In a way beyond criticism, we might say in a word, faultlessly, impeccably. In this petition, we're not asking God to reveal his secret things to us, such as what he will do in the future, but we're asking him to reveal to us what his will is for our lives, how we are to live, how we are to think and to speak and to act. We're asking him to help us live for him in our daily decision-making, in the place where he has put us and with what he has given us to do. The second part of that verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. I don't think it's any revelation to you that in our culture today, we don't receive help in that from our culture. There's not a desire, a strong desire to apply the Word of God in a way that is for the good of our culture. We see so many things that are just, are just breaking down that, that came from uh, our understanding of the law as a culture in the West, protection of life and protection of marriage and recognition of gender and all of these that are from the Scriptures. We're seeing those being undermined and destroyed. And we 
We then are praying, Lord, help us to know your decree, to know your teaching on these words, and to pass it on to our children. So, as we pray that God's will would be done, we're indicating we want to be committed to it. We're asking God to give his spirit and his promised sufficient grace to help us and all people to renounce our own wills without, and to live without any backtalk to him. Help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will, for it alone is good. Children, you know what backtalk is when you delay or when you refuse or you think you know better than your parents. I remember the sermon title of uh, one pastor that I have listened to in years past, and I think the title for this Lord's Day was First Time Fast. And he used to say to his kids, when I say something, first time, fast. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And I think that's right. We may not always understand why our parents say what they say or ask us to do what they ask us to do, but we are to listen. And we're to cultivate that, that attitude of, of submission to God recognizing that we are to live according to his word and not according to our thoughts, however wise we may think we are. The theme of God's will is is not one Christians always handle properly. Sometimes when Christians talk about God's will, we do little more than reveal our own wishes. You may hear someone say, I just know that's God's will for me. I've prayed about it. And they will take God's name and attach it to something that very clearly is in contrast or contradiction to what God teaches in his word. They, what they really mean is, I really want this. And why wouldn't God want this for me since I know what I most need? But we can see over and over again in the scriptures how we don't know what we need. And that's one of the reasons God's word is given to us, that we might learn from those past experiences. Paul says it in two, in, in two places, if not more, in Romans and in uh, 1 Corinthians. These things have been kept as history that you might learn from this and not repeat these same mistakes, thinking that you know better than God. We often yield to the temptation to invoke God's name to legitimize our personal wants or desires. It's been said the pursuit of God's will becomes self-serving when divorced from revelation. That's why we pray, Father, your will be done. Reveal to us what is your will. Because apart from revelation, we are very self-serving. We must not forget that God has revealed his will to us and that he calls us to understand and discern his will. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, his application of the gospel there. He says that you are to learn what the will of God is. Verse 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. Discern, verse 10, what is pleasing to the Lord from Ephesians 5. We are not autonomous creatures, a law to ourselves, nor can we say we are clueless creatures who need to create a purpose 
and a path for ourselves. The Bible says we are by nature rebellious and need to turn from our rebellion and submit to our Creator, the Lord. Part of the heritage that we give thanks for in the Reformed churches are our creeds and confessions that help us understand the Word as it summarizes and systematizes the Word. The Word of God is a big book and is, as is an overarching theme, that of God's Word needing to be played over and over again in our ears so that we might not forget the tune of the symphony of life that God has created for us. When we pray, your will be done, we're praying that God's will would be done by us, willingly, first time fast, and cheerfully, with an acknowledgement that God is showing us his way for us. The importance of knowing the content of the Bible, which gives the will of God for man, is set before us over and over again. We could look to many places for uh, for, for support of that, but I think of Paul's word to the Ephesian elders when he's speaking to them. We have it recorded for us in Acts 20. He says, I want you to know that the whole counsel of God is needful for you, not just the parts that you like, not just the parts that fit perhaps what you think to be uh, your sweet spot, your wheelhouse as we talk about today, but the whole counsel of God. Acts 20 verse 20. These words were in the spirit of Christ's words to his disciples when he sent them out and to teach others to do what? To obey everything that I've commanded you. Everything. Now, sometimes we hear, you'll hear people say, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. <clears throat> that can be misleading. A person saying this, is trying to say that Christianity is only concerned with having relationship. Excuse me. While downplaying doctrine, you must strongly disagree. Christianity is quite simple, but it's also quite profound. (laughs) If it was so simple as saying, have relationship with Jesus, then God wouldn't find it needful to give us this word to instruct us as to what that looks like. And he wouldn't call us to then study it and to hide it in our hearts and to live according to it in our lives. We have to ask our, or we have to say to those who would make such a statement, how can you have a relationship with someone you don't know? How can you have a relationship with a God that whose revelation you ignore, simply saying, well, I know what God's will is. When I pray, I just have a feeling about whether or not I'm doing it right or wrong. The Scriptures warn us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We need that revelation. We need God's Spirit. We know certain things are before us. We know the will of God for our lives, that we would repent of our sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would seek to fight against sin, to sin, to fight against that sin each and every day, knowing that it must be put to death. We're to be committed to all that the Lord has revealed for all of life. Commitment to Christ, 
to our Father flows over into our priorities, our finances, our focus in general, our thoughts, words, and deeds. Paul's word to the Roman Christians here as he transitions in Romans 12 is that the Lord would uh, be remembered, that he has mercifully called us from death to life, and that we are now to present our whole being, not just our bodies, but that as, a con- as an idea of our whole being, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that we would discern what the will of God is, that good, acceptable, and perfect will. We never stop growing in our understanding of God's will for the Tests never stop coming from our adversary, but what we also know is that these are encompassed in God's control and his ordination of uh, all of life. Back in chapter 5, God speaking through the Apostle Paul says this, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. What are we learning from our suffering? What is coming out of these tests and trials? The purification of our lives. Purification of our hearts, which as we heard tonight is the very wellspring of our life, where life flows from. Proverbs chapter 4. Our adversary is constantly trying to distract and deceive us. We need to continually go back to the Word to have a rightly measured response. Many years ago, I can't even remember anymore now, I heard a series of sermons on Nehemiah. And one thing stuck with me was how the devil sought to take Nehemiah and turn him away from God's will for the people and for the leaders of the people. Individuals, Sanballat and Tobiah, were trying to uh, turn Nehemiah from his task. And uh, there he's, he's being turned from rebuilding the wall. They don't want Jerusalem to be rebuilt. They don't want it to be strong. You can see that metaphorically. The world doesn't want the church to be strong. It wants it to just give no attention to defense of the truth, to just let the walls be in disrepair. And Nehemiah sees what's going on, and he keeps working on the walls. <coughs> He sends messengers to those who are saying to him, oh, you must come down. We want to meet with you and, and uh, talk with you and uh, befriend you. And Nehemiah sees the deception. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? He says in verse 11, I will not come down. I will not go to that place where you would have us gather because I am committed to the word of God and will stand with that word, trowel in hand, building, sword in hand, defending. That's commitment to God's word. How do we stand with the word as a defense and as that which builds? Are we committed in our institutions to that? We need to be. We need to stand in the truth and not be led astray by growth and numbers and these things which can distract us, weakening our commitment to 
the foundational doctrines of Scripture. We must stand with Jeremiah as the Lord spoke to him. Jeremiah 26, thus says the Lord, stand and speak all the words that I command you to speak. Do not omit a word. That's pretty clear. Do not omit a word. As one of my professors, Dr. Godfrey, would say, we don't embrace a minimalist doctrine. We seek the fullness of what God has revealed to us. We can never exhaust the fullness of God's revelation. We simply go higher up and deeper in. If we say that we've learned it all already, and the only person who's deceived in that statement is the one making it, God says, you cannot exhaust my word. The psalmist says that, Psalm 119. We could have read those verses tonight for our psalm selection. He says, to the perfections of your law, I see no end. We're to embrace the word in the spirit of John Calvin, who said, a soul deprived of the word of God is given up unarmed to the devil for destruction. Calvin on Jeremiah who often struggled with speaking the truth because he wasn't convinced the people cared. Calvin on Jeremiah 42 says this, If we desire to prove our fidelity to God, the only way of acting is to regard his word as binding, whether it be agreeable or otherwise, and never to murmur as the ungodly do. For when God would have a yoke laid on them, they complain that his doctrine is too hard and burdensome. Away with all those things which render God's word unacceptable to us if we desire to give sure proof of our fidelity. That's a big subject right there. Away with all things that would render God's word unacceptable to us. Everything. No matter how positive it may look. Oh, but we're growing. We're, we're progressing. We're, we're, we're being well-received. Anything which renders God's word unacceptable or distasteful to us or just something we want to just kind of slip away and save for a later day is something we must say no. No, we will stand, trowel in hand, sword in hand, building and defending. We're committed to it, both where it, to the Word of God, both where it is pleasing to us and where it pinches us, Dr. Godfrey used to say. Because of our sins and our ignorance, we must have the Word of God to correct us. His Word alone, His will alone is good, as the Catechism says. There's no fault in it. It perfectly reveals sin. It perfectly reveals His will for our lives. God will not exploit us when He corrects us. He wants to purify us. We pray that God would help us to obey without any backtalk, remembering that delayed obedience is disobedience. God teaches more in this petition. He teaches his disciples to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, again, not later, not waiting for that day when, oh yes, all will be perfect in the world when the kingdom comes in its fullness. No, now, on earth. God's will and its present demand on our lives. God places a present demand on us. He doesn't say, sow your wild oats and then get serious about it later on in life. You'll have that opportunity to, to correct all those mistakes. Remember, it's all about grace. No, he calls us to live now. 
In this petition, we're being taught to ask God to help us now to carry out our office and calling for God's glory. It connects with the previous petition. We're praying your kingdom come now. It's a massive theme, as I've alluded to in the last few sermons, the idea of the kingdom. Let me summarize it this way. God's kingdom comes as his will is being done in our daily living. It comes as we display the mind of Christ. That's how Paul defines it, or how Paul speaks of it in Philippians. He says, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, he who did not display selfish ambition or conceit, he who in humility considered others more significant than himself, looking not to the, his own interest, but to the interest of others, he was a servant, becoming obedient to death. He revealed what it looked like to die to self in obedience to God, whatever that cost might be, knowing his Father to be good. The Holy Spirit, or excuse me, the Heidelberg Catechism speaks of having the angels in heaven as our example. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. They give praise to God continually. That may seem a bit removed from us, but the Son of God was not removed from us. He came to lay down his life for sinners. His service was perfect, and it was full Full-orbed obedience, showing God's perfect plan to deliver sinful man from sin. His selfless service is an example of what it looks like to see this petition realized in our lives more and more. What does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will, for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Because we're committed to this petition, we must be committed to coming to know God and his word. Wherein he reveals his will so that we might truly show his will on earth. When we pray, then, may it be that we're not seeking to attach God's name to what we desire or what we think might be wise. But may we pray that God would work in us this devotion, this commitment to live out the heavenly life which God has set before us. Amen. So be it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means now. That means with devotion dedication. We see in the history of the church those who sought to preserve the word. We think of men like Benedict of Nursia. We think of many in the early church who fought for the truth, Athanasius. Think of so many who stood. Of course, we go back further into those in your word who were leaders, Moses and Joshua, Abraham, those of faith, Isaiah, Jeremiah, There are no shortage of examples to us, Nehemiah, Ezra. Lord, may we be those people, though perhaps not named in the world, recognized in even the church at large. May we be those who are remembered for faithfulness because we recognize that you have mercifully saved us unto holiness, unto the preservation of that good deposit, that will, 
that you've set before us. May what we know, that which is for us and for our children, be taught by us diligently. May our schools, churches, and homes work together, preserving that truth in the midst of a culture which despises it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.